she had got the cancer. You have made my life so wonderful. Take that with you too, okay? I know that you love me. Your mother can't be with you anymore. I can't believe it. It's been a decade since you've been gone. Mama, I miss you. I miss sitting with you in the front yard, still figuring out how to keep living without you. Welcome to episode two of Hello, My Mom is Dead. I am Molly McGlynn, a writer and director in Los Angeles, and my mom is dead. In this podcast, I talk to guests about being in this shitty little club, which unfortunately has some of the best people in it. We talk about everything from how losing our moms have impacted us, what our moms did right and wrong, how to mother yourself, and how grief continues to evolve, and maybe a dead mom joke or two. Today, I am so excited to have Chicago-based author, artist, and Dead Mom Club member, Tyler Fetter. Tyler is the author of Dancing at the Pity Party, a Dead Mom graphic memoir. It was listed on Booklist Best Books of the Year and the Chicago Public Library Best Books of the Year, amongst other fancy lists. Tyler's mom was diagnosed with late-stage cancer the summer after Tyler's first year of college, and a decade later, in 2020, Tyler published this graphic memoir. Booklist said that Tyler's book is, quote, a pitch-perfect memoir of love, grief, and healing, told with deep honesty and not a whiff of self-pity, end quote, and I couldn't agree more. Tyler's book absolutely wrecked me with its precision, humor, and gorgeous illustrations. I so wish I had found this sooner. So let's get into our chat. Welcome, Tyler, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Funny story about how I got your book. My ex-boyfriend's mom actually sent it to me, and it was so sweet of her, but I put it on my bookshelf for about a year because I wasn't ready to read it. And it kind of stared at me for about a year. And then a few months ago, I picked it up and I absolutely devoured it. I was totally eviscerated by it. And you've perfectly balanced pain and joy and levity and humor. And it's just, it's the best thing I've ever read on Mother Loss. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and publishing this book, because I can't imagine it's been easy to uh, share something that's so personal with the world. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That is so amazing to hear. And I I totally get not being ready to read it yet. I've told people before, like, I don't know if I would (laughs) read my book right away if it were written by someone else. It's, it's sensitive and you've got to be in the right mindset. Absolutely. So we'll get into the book in a little bit, but I just wanted to start off with the facts. Uh, How old were you when your mom died and what did she die of? I was 19. It was about a month before I turned 20 and my mom was 47 and she died of choriocarcinoma, which is like a cancer of some kind of tissues that are kind of in the uterus it's like a result of um 
a pregnancy that doesn't go right. But we kind of didn't find that out until the end. At first, we thought it was ovarian cancer. So we basically say like gynecological cancer. There's so much about women's reproductive health that is a huge mystery. I know. When we thought she had ovarian cancer, we were all like researching it and stuff. And the big thing with ovarian cancer is that it like basically doesn't have symptoms that you notice until it's pretty far along, which is so unfair. And yeah, I feel like people like talking about breast cancer because it's like the cancer people know about and all the pink stuff. Yeah, it was really the the hot cancer to get for a while. Like my mom died of um, metastasized breast cancer, but the whole like pink washing capitalism intersection with breast cancer really sort of hit its peak. My mom died in 2007. And uh, yeah, it was pink donuts, pink t-shirts, pink hats. And while I appreciate the intent, the vibes aren't quite right there for me personally. Yeah, it feels a little cutesy. And I definitely don't like the commercialization of cancer it kind of just makes it like I don't know an afterthought like it just doesn't um hit the way I would like it to yeah absolutely um it's a very like saccharine treatment of mm-hmm. quite a violent disease and way to die yep I actually it's funny I didn't even think about this but I for so long hated pink and in the past couple of years, I've been reclaiming that color a little bit. And I wonder if some of it has to do with the marketing and branding. I totally get that. I, I happen to love pink, but my... It's your favorite color, right? It is. It's like almost to a ridiculous extent how much in my apartment is pink. But the color of the ribbon for like reproductive cancer is teal. Mm-hmm. And I like hate that color now it's like objectively a pretty color but I just never want it nearby I like have no desire in wearing like a ribbon or whatever it's just it's a bad reminder of a bad time yeah 100 percent. teal is on your uh blacklist of colors yeah exactly if it's okay with you I'm going to start off by reading your mom's obituary. Great. <laughs> yeah, great. What a way to start an episode. Um but it's just a way to get the facts out about who your mom is and then we can talk about who she actually was to you. Sure. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Mhm. <laughs> Rhonda Fetter, nay Hoffman, age 47, beloved wife and soulmate for 21 years of Stephen, loving mother of Tyler Faith, Cody Lauren, and Spencer Rose Fetter, darling daughter of Jerome and Maida Hoffman, devoted sister of Marsha Blitstein, Arthur Hoffman, and Francine Hoffman, cherished daughter-in-law of Howard and Jerry Fetter, dear sister-in-law of Dr. Robert Fetter, wonderful aunt of Michael Lana and Jessica Blitstein, Sarah Stevens and Tracy Hoffman, Alex and Seth Fetter. And then there's some details about the uh, service. And then it says contributions in Rhonda's memory shall be donated to the American Cancer Society. 
What is it like hearing that? It's funny, like hearing the, the like specific adjectives that we use, like darling, daughter, and whatever. It like takes me back to when we were writing the obituary. My family is from the Chicago suburbs, and I grew up there. All my extended family is from there. And then right after I graduated from high school, my parents and sisters and I moved to Florida. And we were like the only part of our family that lived there. My mom really wanted to move there. She loved the warm weather. And then like two years later, she died. So (laughs) we were like the satellite part of our family. And we ended up having the funeral and Shiva and everything back in Illinois. So some of my family flew to Florida like for a few days in between it was such a strange time and I just remember sitting with my like aunt and both of my grandmas on the couch and everyone was arguing over the obituary and it was so funny because it was like who cares like someone we love so much has died and like the the part about my cousin Michael, his wife is a doctor, but he's not a doctor. So everyone was like yelling about if it should be Dr. Marissa or if we could just say Marissa. And it was just. I love it. Yeah. I love the being hyper focused on the minutiae of the obituary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mom was extremely detail oriented and. I tend in that direction. And then her sister, my aunt Marsha, is like very similar to my mom. So just that (laughs) combination was just so funny. And I think like, I mean, it was 2009. So the internet was a big part of people's lives. But I think that we had to dictate the obituary over the phone to the funeral director. Kind of like ordering flowers for somebody. It's like, (laughs) what would you like the message to say? Yeah. (laughs) And everyone was being very nitpicky about like commas and things like that. And I mentioned in my book that seeing the obituary just feels so weird because it's just like a list of people and it has nothing to do with my mom. I mean, she was darling and beloved and whatever, but that like doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, absolutely. It feels, it it can feel very clinical and sterile reading it. And when I've Googled my mother's, it's kind of like, yes, these things are true, but there's a distance to it. But, you know, reading your book, Dancing at the Pity Party, it feels it's the antithesis to the sterility of the obituary it's so three-dimensional and vivacious and full of life and details having read your book i feel like i know rhonda a little bit and i wanted to share your description of her from your book for the listeners because it's so beautiful my mom was an inch shorter than me at 57 she had smiley brown eyes and a dark pixie cut with a signature swoopy cowlick over her forehead Her arms were soft and freckly, and she had extremely graceful hands. 
She usually smelled like one of the millions of hand creams she applied religiously, almond or apricot or cocoa butter. Anytime I told her she smelled good, she'd say, thanks, it's my natural aroma. Everything about her face was pointy, her nose, her sharply arched eyebrows, the thin lips she didn't like. She had a very endearing gap between her front teeth. She barely wore any makeup and dressed in a familiar boring uniform of jeans, solid color shirts, and comfortable shoes. I just, I love the details and um, your illustrations are incredible as well, but the book is just filled with these. What does it feel like when people who have read the book come up to you or message you saying that they feel like they know your mom? Do you feel like you're sharing her with your readers? Are you protective over her in some way? I mean, I, I'm definitely protective of her if anyone ever said anything negative. I'm sure it would upset me, but that hasn't happened. How um, could they? I mean, yeah, how could they? I will find them <laughs> if they if they dare say a single negative thing. Yeah, but no, hearing people say they feel like they know her is like the best thing ever. Like I of course am glad that my book has helped people or made them feel less alone, but I feel like selfishly I just wanted everyone to know about my mom. She was a stay-at-home mom for most of her life. And she didn't have a big social circle and didn't do like a ton of traveling. So because she died so young, it's like her, you know, circle of influence was pretty small. And it just feels so good when when people tell me that they feel like they miss her or like they feel like they know her. What a beautiful gift you've given her. You know, you you mentioned that she didn't get the chance to travel or really have this large social network. And here she is continuing to live on through you, you know, all over the world. Yeah, it is. It's a huge comfort to me. Because it's like, even after I'm gone, it's like however long my books take to decompose, like there's still this physical representation of my mom that exists. Yeah, it, it gives me a ton of comfort. I think, you know, there's a saying with um, filmmaking or screenwriting that the specificity of the writer lends to the universality of the story. And I feel like you've really done that um, because the details about Rhonda are so specific and are only hers. And yet it's just, it it feels so universally understood. Yeah. I, I feel the same way when I hear about other people's moms, it's like just the specifics of, any person makes them feel real and feel like someone you can connect to. And I really, when I was working on the book, I I really wanted readers to feel the loss of my mom as the specific person that she was and not just as like kind of a 
plot device. That's why her death is in the middle of the book because I wanted people to know who she was beforehand and then also see how the whole process goes afterwards. Yeah. That, that chapter where I just like talk about my mom and just give like anecdotes and describe her. I feel like that could have been the whole book. Like I could just go on and on. It, it It's like the prequel, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's a really great page where you have this drawing of old mom versus new mom. Um, the new cancer version of your mom has no hair, dull eyes, a chemo port, and PJ bottoms worn inside out because the lining was too irritating. This so viscerally brought me back to seeing my new cancer mom as well. I Similarly, you were 19. I lost my mom at 21, so it was three weeks after I graduated college. But that last year of college, I was at school for a few weeks and then coming home and that absolute shock of seeing this new version of your mom. And it feels in a lot of ways like living grief. It, there is a grief of the old version of them while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about that. If you remember, did you and your mom talk about what that was like, that drastic change? Or was it sort of the elephant in the room where you pretended everything was fine? It was much more the elephant in the room, unfortunately. I mean, my family, my immediate family was very optimistic when my mom was sick, like almost in a delusional kind of way. We were just like, when she gets better, like we'll have all these plans and um, because we would take something like, oh, you have a 99% chance of dying and be like, well, there's that 1%. And looking back, like, I think it was probably for the best that that was the attitude that we had, at least for us, because it was such a traumatic, horrible process of seeing her get sicker and sicker. And that optimism was like a lifeboat. But it also means that, like, I don't have any conversations with my mom where, like, she told me, like, wisdom that she wanted to impart for after she died or anything even close to that. And I wish that I had that. I mean, there's no, like, way of handling her diagnosis that would have been like the correct one that's complicated yeah i i have a lot of um regret and shame i think like i witnessed my mom's first round of breast cancer when i was about 13 um and i always say i was getting breasts and she was getting hers removed you know so it was like this very um tumultuous understanding of having a body that I was getting at that point in puberty. But, you know, growing up, the the old mom had this dark chestnut hair and she dressed a certain way. And, uh, you know, after her hair grew out after chemo, it was like short and gray. And I, I hated it. I wanted her to go back to brown hair. And 
she wrote me this note that she left on my bed saying that her hair is a symbol of her strength and her victory. And I so badly wish I could go back and say to her what I would now, which is she looks beautiful. She's rocking it. Uh, I'm proud of her. But that insecure teenage version of me, all I wanted was the old version back and I wasn't able to integrate the new version of who she was. Um, But at the same time, I think my mom knew I was a teenage girl and teenage girls can be assholes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm I'm sure she uh she understood that, but I do wish I had done that differently. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I mean my sisters and I were all three teenage girls when my mom was sick. And it's so easy as an adult to look back and be like, this is how I wish I'd handled things, but like you just don't have that experience when you're younger and I'm sure when you were a kid and you missed your mom's hair it wasn't so much about the hair it was like you missed before she was sick and that's totally reasonable and it's hard to have like a visual um reminder of this horrible experience Right, because the gray short hair was a reminder of how sick she was and the threat of death, you know? So if anything, I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like the version of you where I'm reminded of your mortality. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I have not a ton of photos from when my mom was sick, but I have some when she was first diagnosed before she started treatment and some of our family came to visit. And so my mom looks normal in those pictures. And then I have some more pictures from like, I don't know, six months after that or something. She came to Chicago to get a surgery and she looks like a zombie. Like it's just, my mom's eyebrows were like a really big, I, I I love that detail. Your mom's obsession with eyebrows is is a theme of the book. It's so it feels sometimes like a cruel joke how big eyebrows have gotten like in the media space since she died because they were such a huge deal with her. She was really ahead of her time with eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um but like seeing her without eyebrows was so eerie I mean you've seen those like BuzzFeed articles where they're like look at these celebrities without eyebrows like look how funny everyone looks and that was so jarring and it's something that I always notice now in movies whenever someone has cancer and they lose their hair it's always like they're wearing a head wrap but they still have these bold eyebrows on their face right and I'm like no that's not how it works like it's the eerie like something's off mm-hmm. feeling about someone's face that really is like that person's sick and not just an actor um, playing someone who's sick. Yeah. You, you know, you also write about in the book, this moment of kind of delirious laughing with your sisters about the, your mom's puffy steroid face. And what I love about your work is that you're, not afraid to go there, which 
you know, can be dark. Those moments can be so dark. But can you talk a little bit about how you've used humor in your work and how to cope? Sure. Yeah, I think humor. Well, my family is like a real jokey kind of family. There's always like a lot of laughter at big family events. And that's just who we are as people. And I think sometimes people forget that when you go through something traumatic, it's still you. And, you know, we were all, we still had our same personalities. It's just how our personalities were affected by experiencing this loss. So the, the like lighter moments in the book are all totally authentic. I've had interviews before where people are like, did you heighten anything um, to try to like bring some levity? And the, the answer is no. I see that completely. Yeah. I'm like, this is real. Yeah. Like it's impossible to just be crying and miserable literally 24 seven. Like it can be 23 seven, but you still have that one hour where like something's going to seem funny. Where you're looking at some cat memes or something in that hour. You need a reprieve. Yeah, you just get so tired. And there's like a lot of, you know, being at the hospital at like a weird time of day. And sort of like if you have a really long travel day and you're just kind of out of it and things seem funny. I think that's kind of what Mm -hmm. it felt like. And because like after my mom died, the way that people who have not experienced loss react and like how they treat you and the all the platitudes and stuff it's just like such an awkward weird thing you end up comforting them people oh my god all the time yeah you know i i feel like sometimes it just if you haven't lost a mom just perhaps say i'm so sorry for your loss um keep it short and sweet, but some, sometimes people are so uncomfortable with talking about death and grief that if you're like me, I contort myself to make them feel better. And I'm using deflective humor. And then I'm, you know, shaming myself that I can't just live in their discomfort. (laughs) Oh yeah. Completely same. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm always saying like, Oh, my mom died when I was a teenager. But don't worry, like it was a long time ago and I'm doing a lot better. And who cares now? I don't even remember. My life is totally normal. It's like, it's still, no matter how much time passes, it just really sucks. It's just like a a really horrible, bad thing that happened to me. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes you don't want to talk about it. Like, I'll be having like a general meeting for work and you have small talk chit chat and where did you grow up and where do your parents live and it's like oh here we go and you're trying to keep it light and zippy and well my dad lives there end of (laughs) yeah you just hope that they they never follow up on on the other part I wanted to ask you so it was about 10 years from your mom dying to publishing this book and do you feel like you needed that 10 years in order to tackle this? And how long 
were you germinating in this idea? That's a good question. I I definitely think that I needed time because it was so raw in the beginning. My so my mom died over spring break and I uh went to Northwestern where we have the quarter system instead of semester. So it was like right when I came back to college, it was a new set of classes that I was taking. And I took like a poetry class and like some other writing classes. And my teachers knew that I was just coming back from my mom dying. And I would just like write about my mom for the classes all the time. And I found these poems and stuff somewhere. And they're just like, so on the nose, just like, (laughs) I don't know how I could have done anything else. I think it was really helpful and like getting it out of my system. When did you have the idea of, okay, I'm going to write a graphic novel about this or a graphic memoir? So when I was a senior in college, my mom had died my sophomore year. And when I was a senior, I took this creative nonfiction class as like an elective. And like every now and then in classes before that, I would try to turn in a comic as an essay, like without <laughs> asking beforehand, because I was too apprehensive. I would just be like, here, it's the right number of words. And I just really liked expressing myself that way. So because the class was creative nonfiction, it was like an opportunity to really try that and get to workshop it in class and stuff. And I wrote this little personal essay about my mom dying and it was four pages long and it was a very different art style from what I use now because I was kind of out of practice and it was just such an amazing experience creating it it just felt like oh this is like the right way for me to communicate like this feels just really authentic to who I am as an artist and just as a person and a communicator. And so many years later, I've been like putting my art online for a while and but like gotten an agent like through um, someone who wanted me to illustrate their book. And in one of our first meetings, she had looked at my Tumblr. So that's what I was using to post my art online at the time. And I uploaded that essay like on the anniversary of my mom's death. And I was like, look, I made this thing in college. And I told her that it was a dream of mine to turn it into a whole book one day. And eventually that ended up happening. Wow. From Tumblr to published book. (laughs) Yeah. That's like an urban legend. Yeah, I feel like Tumblr is like a punchline at this point. Man, I loved I loved Tumblr. Oh my god, it was just the best. And the, because it had that reblog function, it was such a good way of spreading art mm-hmm. around because people would just share things and it would it would just like get exponential exposure if two people reblog it and they have however many followers and then those people see it and Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge huge help and in my career. It's been out for a few years now. Looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? There's one 
part at the very beginning where I mentioned Snapchat and every time I see it, it feels cringy because it's like TikTok is the thing people use now. And I, I wish kind of that I would have used something less like time sensitive, but really honestly, other than that, it just feels like that this was the right thing at the right time. And I'm proud of what I did. I'm sure if I were to make it now, it would be different, but I don't really know how exactly. Yeah, it's interesting as an artist, the work you create is a snapshot of you at that place in time, creatively and emotionally. So in some ways, the question is kind of moot because that's where you were at that point in time. Totally. What was it like having your sisters and dad read it? Did they read it before it had been published or after? Um, It was different for each person. My youngest sister, Spencer, is also really into art and writing. So, and she and I lived really close to each other at the time. So when I was working on the book, we used to like meet up for coffee and I would bring my sketchbook and just have her read the chapter that I was working on. We have a really good like vibe when we work on art stuff together. We're kind of able to give each other constructive feedback that doesn't feel like too sensitive. And also we're just like both really big fan of each other. So (laughs) that's comfort. So she read it like bit by bit as I worked on it. And then my other sister, Cody, read it in therapy with her therapist. Wow. Just like so clever. (laughs) I've never done anything like that in therapy. I think I read it like a chunk at a time. And my dad just like binged it one night after it was published. And I I feel really grateful that um, and like lucky that, that all three of them liked the book. I mean, it's like so intensely personal in there. They were as much involved in what the book is about as I was. Like it's, you know, it's a story that happened to all of us. Yeah. And the Venn diagram of a person, you know, there's overlap between you and your sister's understanding of your mom as a mother, but it's also different and specific to each of you. Totally. Yeah. I remember when Spencer read it, she said it felt like watching her own life, but like from over there. Wow. (laughs) Like from like a different part of the room. Yeah. And that was so fascinating to me. I was really worried that my mom wouldn't have wanted me to make the book. Why do you think that? She was just so private and personal and didn't share a lot about her life. And, you know, I'm like showing her in such a vulnerable state. Um, And she also was like very critical of my art, like in a loving way, but I was like, shut up. Like I like this. Well, she was an artist, right? Like, yeah, she, uh, she could never just be like, you did a good job. She'd have to like say, well, next time maybe you could do X, Y, Z. And it was like definitely in a very loving way. I mean, it still totally got on my nerves, but. Um, I wonder if she saw talent in you and she was pushing you lovingly 
to get better. I'm yeah, like she and I had a ton in common out of me and my sisters. I'm the one that's most obviously like my mom. And so I think she wanted me to be better than she was. Like she kind of saw me as a version of herself. So, and I like, I'm, I don't have like a really definite understanding of how I feel about the afterlife. Like I'm very wishy-washy. Like it depends on the day about the whole thing. So it's not really like, I think my mom is sitting in heaven and is mad at me. Do you feel her presence in moments? Yes. (laughs) It's not like there's a ghost. Like it's not like a physical thing, but it feels, sometimes I feel like I'll make a face and I'll like feel from the inside that it's like her face. I totally know what you're saying. I think I was about to go out and putting on lipstick or something and Zach, my fiance, sort of commented on the face I was making. And I, in that moment, I felt and saw my mother's face when she was sort of preening in the mirror and it was sort of like sucked in cheeks a little bit. It's not a natural pose, but you know when you are morphing physically into your mother in those moments. Yeah, it's like... Like you happen to maybe be in front of a mirror in that moment, but like you don't have to be in front of a mirror to be able to tell that it's like your mom. Yeah. Like it's feet, like, I don't know. It's this weird sense. Yeah. And whenever I like do something that my mom did when I was a kid, now that I'm an adult, like sit on the floor and be like working on some DIY project late at night. It just feels like this is mom, like in a good way. Yeah. You mentioned your mom was a private person and you wonder how she would feel about being so exposed and vulnerable. Uh, You have a panel in the book where you delete your mom's number from your phone, sparing yourself the grief of doing it later, which fucking destroyed me but um (laughs) moving on we both lost our moms pre-smartphone era and sometimes I find myself wondering what my mom would be like on Instagram or what she would post do you think Rhonda would have Instagram and what would she post so okay my mom was around when Facebook was pretty big and it was kind of at the time when I say adults like grown-ups, people the generation <laughs> above me would get on Facebook, kind of the beginning of where Facebook <laughs> headed. But my mom never wanted a Facebook, but she would sometimes log in to mine. Like she knew my password and stuff just so she could like look people up. See what your cousin wore to a wedding. Yeah. And like, I didn't mind at all. Like there wasn't anything private that I put on there but I don't know if she would use Instagram I liked picture I think she would be really into Pinterest yeah I am super into it also and like she was pretty tech savvy in general she had a palm pilot when I was a kid and with those tiny pencils attached yeah the little stylus and you'd have to like write letters but there was like this special 
alphabet that you use, like these symbols so that it would register as the right letter. And I just thought the whole thing was so cool and grown up. Yeah, I love that. If you could think about your mom, if she wasn't a mother, what do you think her life would have been like? Oh, wow. My mom met my dad when she was 23 and she was living at home with her parents. She had gone to college at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, but she didn't graduate. And we never talked about it, which kills me because I am over there all the time now. And like, I love art so much and I just want to know everything about it. But she met my dad at this synagogue event that she didn't want to go to because it was really cold out and her parents dragged her and my dad's parents dragged him and met. It was this very like coincidental thing. And we all, my dad is almost 11 years older than my mom, which always just felt really normal in our family. It wasn't like a, a weird thing. They were just two grownups. But because my dad was so much older than my mom and had had so much of his life before he knew her, it just felt like he whisked her away from being stuck at home and then she started her life. So to think of like what she would be doing if she hadn't gone down that path. I guess you said being a mother and not being a wife. But I don't know. I'd love to think that she would be like, making art professionally. She had just started a calligraphy business a few years before she died. She was really getting into it and was like addressing invitations for weddings and stuff. And it was very fun to watch her do the calligraphy and also just really cool to watch her start this business. Like it just felt very like the good kind of girl bossy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So it sounds like your mom may have, you envision her if she didn't have daughters, she may be living a life like you have currently. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I, she was really independent and liked spending time alone. And it's not super hard to picture her being like a, cool single lady <laughs> doing art <laughs> in her apartment yeah making her pinterest boards and making yeah exactly. girl bossing her calligraphy company uh-huh <laughs> follow up to that do you want to be a mom i do i've always wanted to i because i'm the oldest in my family i've always felt pretty maternal with my sisters, even though they're not that much younger than me. One's two years younger and the other one's four years younger. So we're all like basically the same age. But right after my mom died, like at the funeral, I remember thinking like, I need to have a daughter immediately so that I can have another mother, mother-daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. I'll just be the mother in it. Like I need this for my healing. I'll become the thing that I don't have. Yeah, like this will fix everything. I'd still like it to happen. Nothing, <laughs> nothing's on the horizon that I know of. But um, yeah, my my youngest sister just had 
the baby, uh, the first baby in our family over the summer. And it's just been wonderful to experience and seeing my sister be a mom is really healing to me because she's so gentle and creative and it's like another version of my mom and because she had this biological son it's like 25 percent of his dna is from my mom <laughs> that's really cool there's more of my mom's dna in the world now than there used to be that's beautiful i and the youngest of five girls and three of my older sisters. Wow, yeah. that's so cool. Three of my oldest sisters have kids. And I liked what you said about seeing your sister become a mother is another way of feeling your mother again through them. Yeah. Um, but it's also so bittersweet as well. And I've certainly seen my sister's grief come up in their motherhood. And all those milestones where you feel that glaring absence. Yeah, I know when my sister was pregnant, she just like really wished that she could talk to my mom about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing about losing a parent young. It's like every good thing that happens to you afterwards is like, this is a great thing, but my mom's not here to see it. Absolutely. I talk about that a lot in therapy. It feels like, Every high is tinged with sadness um, and this bittersweet feeling. And I just am learning to accept that that is the way it will be from now on. What gift do you think having lost your mother has given you? I love calling it a gift. I do feel like it's given me a gift. I feel like I have this like super empathy <laughs> I know people are like I'm an empath and it's kind of like a feels like mm, the state of the world is pointing to not all of us are empaths <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly but I think like sometimes I see people who have never lost anyone close to them and they'll get like really heated about like a sports win or loss or like traffic or the food taking too long at a restaurant or something like that. And I'm not saying that like I've never gotten upset about something small. Wow, you're an angel. I'm going through all the times I've been like at the airport being like. <laughs> I mean, I get annoyed about things constantly, but I guess I, I just, there's like a little bit more like, Space I have with those things where I'm like, honestly, who cares? One of my best friends, Marnie, has a great saying. She'll often just look at me and say, death awaits. And it applies <laughs> to everything. Like, yeah, if it's the best or worst day of your life, it's just a reminder that kind of none of it matters. <laughs> I mean, it, it does not not to minimize the value of any of our lives. But I actually think that saying is really beautiful to remember our mortality and the fleeting nature of all this. Uh-huh. And I think being able to like find the funny or weird thing in something horrible. I mean, I think I was always 
kind of like that even before my mom was sick, but that's definitely like a thing in our family now. And I think it's really helped all of us get through even just like lesser difficulties in life to just be like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe how horrible everything is. And then just kind of laugh about it. Yeah. In some ways there is a liberation with it a little bit because when the worst thing that you can imagine has happened and you've gotten through it, Mm -hmm. you kind of know you're going to be able to figure the rest of it out. Yeah. I remember right after I got back to school, after my mom died, I had applied for this special screenwriting program in my college that I really wanted to get into. And um, you had to have an interview to get in. And like, I'm deathly terrified (laughs) of interviews. I mean, hopefully this hasn't been that bad. This is not the same. (laughs) Yeah. The stakes are low. (laughs) Yeah. Like a job interview kind of thing where it's like someone is making a judgment on you. It scares the crap out of me. Or your value to something. Yeah. And it was where it was three screenwriting teachers and me, like, you know, where it's like a panel of people. And I had to do this interview just like right after my mom died. And I remember feeling like, I literally watched my mom die and I'm getting nervous about like answering questions about writing. And it still was terrifying. (laughs) Like sometimes I I feel like, how did I possibly go through um, my mom dying? Like it sounds so terrifying to me now that so much time has passed. Oh my God. Me too. I'm like the thought of looking at my mother's dead body. How did I look at that? How did I? Yeah. How did I do that whole thing? (laughs) But I just like live that day to day knowing that my mom had cancer and we didn't know if she was going to get better. I know. Like I just did that. And I like had like a life outside of it. I was like hanging out with my friends and going to class and it kind of blows my mind. I know. I think I went to like a concert a few days before she died. And like, my friend was like, Oh, do you want to do this? It will take your mind off it. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) But the thing is that probably if it happened to you now, you would do the same thing. Yeah. It's like, we're like being able to adapt is such a big part of being human and it kind of just happens even without you doing anything actively like yeah I mentioned in the book that like right after my mom died I just couldn't look at pictures of her at all like they would just I'd immediately start sobbing and a week later I'm like looking at them oh I miss my mom (laughs) your human body just (laughs) continues evolving even when you're not like actively trying to heal great reminder your body carries you through and provides the mechanisms you need in that moment to get through uh-huh yeah is there a book or a movie that gets the dead mom thing right yes there's this movie called other people it's written by chris kelly who's a writer for saturday night live is that the molly shannon movie yeah okay i haven't seen it but you're the second person in the past few months to remind me of it oh wow yeah it is like it's another thing where because it's so specific it feels really universal
rehearsal because it's about like a Saturday Night Live writer whose mom is dying of cancer. But I think they really hit the funny, sad thing in a very authentic way. There's a scene at the the first scene of the whole movie where the whole family is like sitting in bed with the mom immediately after she died and they're all sobbing. And then while they're sobbing, you hear the phone ringing in the other room and it goes to voicemail and it's this friend of the mom's and she's like, just wanted to see how you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And then she starts going through a drive through while she's on the phone. So she's like ordering. That's perfect. And it's, yeah, I just think it's perfect. That movie makes me sob, but like in a way that feels cleansing. Yeah. I kind of like use it in an instrumental way when I feel like emotionally like clogged up. I just like wash it watch it and get all my tears out i'm gonna watch that i i give the family stone a watch probably once a year around christmas have you seen that oh i haven't seen that one i'm jewish and so i feel like i'm i'm like missed out on all this good you can watch it anytime but yeah diane keaton is incredible in that and is that one of those movies where like you think it's gonna be a comedy but then it's yes yeah yeah i feel like i've heard Yeah, it it sort of uh, bait and switches you and then just kind of goes for the jugular at the end. But uh, I won't spoil it, but the last scene um, definitely can be used as a cleansing tool, as you were (laughs) (laughs) referencing. I'll have to keep that one in mind. What does mothering yourself look like? Or do you mother yourself? Oh, yeah, I, I totally feel like I do. My mom was such an involved parent and my dad worked and it was like a very traditional kind of gender role thing in our family and I'm super close with my dad and I was then too but it's different like my mom knew the names of all of my teachers and all my friends and the assignments I had to do and she was just like very actively part of my daily life and my dad kind of missed out on all of that so I definitely feel that like longing a lot for someone to just be on top of things. So I'll like get really into like cooking a lot of food in advance and putting it in the freezer and just like trying to create an environment at home that feels the way our house felt when my mom was making dinner and she had Jeopardy on in the background and doing our homework and it was just this very like safe feeling you could have been describing a scene from my my home too jeopardy was always on the background yeah the sound and wheel of fortune too like the sounds of people buzzing in and stuff yeah just like put me at ease because i live alone also it's like that stuff isn't going to happen unless i do it so i'm like I'm lighting a candle that smells good and I'm putting on like music that's cozy and just I like for Hanukkah I try to light the candles every night even if it's just me and I'm not giving myself Hanukkah gifts but I just like want it to still be a thing 
I'm also really, really close with my sisters and we all kind of are mothering each other constantly. So that's also super helpful. I love that. If you can, it's very hard to do so, but if you can distill how losing your mother changed you, what would you say into like a phrase or a sentence? I feel like it made me braver. I was always the kid growing up that would get like homesick at sleepover parties and stuff. Me too. (laughs) We're both INFJs, by the way. Oh yeah, that's specific. And I also have ADHD, so. Yeah, so we're basically the same person. (laughs) I hear INFJ is the least common of all the personality types. And I just was this like, sweet little innocent baby and I didn't feel that way at the time but I think like you have only experienced what you've experienced and so I was you know stressing out about school all the time and stuff and then like knowing that I've gone through this like unspeakably difficult time I'm like, yeah, I did that. I did that, bitch. I lost my mom. (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) By the way, your merchandise is incredible. Thank you. Can you just shout out a few of the t-shirt t-shirts you have related to dead moms? So there is the. My mom died and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. There's like somebody who loves me very much is dead. (laughs) I like screamed when I saw that page. They're so (laughs) funny. Are they still for sale? They have never been for sale, but I really should make them for sale because I would wear them. If you decide to make that, I will plug the hell out of it. I will personally buy a hundred of them, but I would love you to sell that. I honestly, like, I don't know why I never did. I feel like I should. I have this um, internet friendly acquaintance who has an Instagram meme account called Varsity Grief Squad. Okay. Immediately following. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm sure you'll love it because it's like extremely dark and great. (laughs) And it like makes me laugh out loud a lot. And I think she makes um, Varsity Grief Squad shirts or something. I want a Letterman jacket. I'll drop like... Oh my God, me too. My friend Chell was on this podcast and she's got a great meme page. And the meme that inspired me largely to do this podcast, um, it was like... No one, absolutely no one. And then it said, me, my mom's dead. (laughs) It's like, yes, that is it. Yeah, especially if I made this book. I feel like I'm like the dead mom girl. And... Ooh, great alt title. Or maybe a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, the dead mom girl. And every now and then I'm like, oh, did I pigeonhole myself too much? And then I'm like, no, this literally is my identity. Like... Obviously, it's not my whole identity, but it's a huge thing that happened in my life at a very formative age. And I remember when I graduated from college, 
I didn't graduate with any honors or anything. And my dad was like looking through the little booklet that they give you at graduation with everyone's names in there. And it has like the asterisk if they got summa cum, whatever. And we were like, where's the asterisk for if your mom died? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and like you were just trying to live your life. You earned it. <laughs> yeah. I graduated from college, we call it university in Canada where I graduated, but a few weeks before my mom died. And there was a lot of stuff going on with someone who's dying. But regardless, I showed up for graduation. It's like thousands of people graduating. My mom was there. My four sisters were there. And I'm sitting in this like arena and I'm reading the program and my name isn't there. So I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. What? And so I like, I ran up to a school administrator and I'm like, my mom is dying and I'm not in this program. And she goes, did you register to graduate? And I'm like, what? You had to register to graduate? You can't just show up? And so I explained the whole thing to her. Like, I literally need to graduate today. It's the thing that my mom wants to see in order for her to pass. So the woman was like, okay, she got me an empty diploma tube (laughs) and like got them to say my name. She was like, however, you haven't officially graduated and you have to like register and get the thing. But I went through this performance of graduation. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, there was other stuff going on than registering to graduate. (laughs) (laughs) I still never got that diploma. Don't need it. They owe you. (laughs) They do owe me. But maybe I haven't even graduated still. Who freaking knows? I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? There are more important things. We did school of life, you know? Yeah, exactly. School of hard knocks. Yeah. Okay, one last question for you. If your mom were to send you a text right now or today, what would it say? I feel like it would be like, don't forget to nair your mustache or something. It would just feel like... Okay, drops mic. (laughs) It'd be something where I see it and I'm like, oh my God. Perfect last words. (laughs) I love it. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Tyler. I admire the hell out of you. I recommend everyone um, get a copy of Dancing at the Pity Party amongst uh, your other works, but especially if you've lost a mom or honestly, if you haven't, it's such a beautiful book. The illustrations are incredible. You can follow Tyler on Instagram at Tyler Fetter and at TylerFetter.com. Is there anything you want to plug or let people know that you're working on these days can be work related, can be anything. I technically am posting art on Instagram at Tyler Fetter. Haven't done it in a while. Um, and I also have a new children's book coming out September 5th. I don't know when this comes out, but I wrote it with my sister and it's about being people pleasers who always ask each other if we're mad, if someone's mad at us. It's called, are you mad at me? Hmm. Even though it's a book for children, I certainly will be buying myself a copy. (laughs) Um, Your Instagram is incredible. It is so beautiful. And you post a lot of your work there. So please go check that out. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thank you.